welcome to Sarah's. It's brilliant to have you here this morning. If you're here for the first time, uh, you are most especially welcome. Uh, back after the summer, the summer's looking out the window now. The summer's definitely over, isn't it? Definitely over. How was your summer? I hope it was all right. Uh, maybe you had a chance to grow a beard. Uh, maybe you did something else with your time. I don't know what it was. But the summer's over, and we're excited about all that's ahead this year uh, and this term uh, as well. Lots of good things uh, coming up. Uh, and we're going to begin by reading a passage of scripture that we're going to be focusing on for a little while. Uh, but before we do that, I thought it would be really good for us to just spend some time in silence. This passage, and as Sarah's just been mentioning, we were thinking about resting. And so as we come to the scriptures, we're going to take some time to be still. And in that stillness, you may, if you're a follower of Jesus, like to ask God to speak to you. If you're here this morning and you're not sure uh, about Christianity and you're here because you're just interested, maybe whoever you are, just in the quietness, you might like to, in your own mind, ask God, please speak to me. So let's be still for a moment as we come to the Bible. Let's be still. Lord, we long to hear your voice this morning. Lord, we're here for you. Please, would you speak? Would you highlight the areas of our lives where you want to shine in and give rest? Would we leave this morning changed people? Meet with us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So I'm going to read from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, the words will come up on the screen. Matthew chapter 11, just going to read from verse 25 to verse 30. And this is uh, as Jesus in, is in dialogue uh, with some of the religious leaders of the day. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke's easy and my burden is light. Let me ask you a question. Uh, who is the most successful person you know? Why don't you chat to your neighbor? If you've not met them, say hi. Who is the most successful person you know? And what I mean by that is not somebody that you know of, somebody you actually personally know. The most successful person. Go for it, just for 30 seconds with your neighbor. When I answer that question, I think of my friend Jack. 
My mate Jack uh, is in a very good job, very well paid job. He is happily married. Uh, they are a beautiful couple and have beautiful children. They live in a big house, uh, doing well in life, very well educated, very clever, very witty. When I think of who the most successful person is, I think of my friend Jack. But of course the question is this, it depends how you define success, doesn't it? And we live in a society, just like my answer, in which success is defined in a very specific way. The author Wayne Muller wrote a book called Sabbath, and in it he reflects on how many people say, when you ask them how you're doing, the answer is really busy. I'm just so busy. And here's his response. We say this to one another with no small degree of pride, as if our exhaustion were a trophy, our ability to withstand stress, a mark of real character, to be unavailable to our friends and family, to be unable to find time for the sunset or even to know when the sun has set, to whiz through our obligations without time for a single mindful breath. This has become the model of a successful life. And the reality is, isn't it? Many of us are trying to live lives or dare we say are forced to live lives without the opportunity for a single mindful breath. I love that phrase. When was the moment that we just stopped and breathed? And the truth is, as a result of this, many of us, if we are honest, are not thriving in life. And we're not thriving because of what we are striving for. What in our minds defines the successful life. And that measure of success may be defined in a number of ways. It may be to do with wealth, and so therefore we will do all we can to make as much money as we can because in our heads that is the successful life. So we strive for more, for more promotions and so on and so on. Or in our head, it may be nothing to do with that. It may be to do with our relationships. In our heads, the successful life is being happily married or having children or whatever it may be. And so we strive for that and we will not rest until that is the case. And it drives us forwards. Or for others of us, a successful life is making a difference in this world and somehow having an impact on this planet or in the sphere we're in. And so we strive for making a real change. And when that doesn't happen, we're driven more and more. All of those things may be good things, but the reality is in our strivingness, if there's such a word, to get there, we end up, if we're honest, not thriving. And you may resonate with this, and I won't ask for a show of hands to ask, would you say you are thriving? But I would venture to say, if I asked that question, the majority of our hands would say no. But if you're one of the one or two who you would say, I am thriving right now, why is this relevant to me? I saw this photo over the weekend, I don't know if you've seen it. Please don't be like those golfers having your merry little way while the world around them burns. Because if you look at all the statistics, all the research, we are not a thriving society. 
with more and more emotional strain, more and more health problems, more and more burdens that people are getting eaten up by. We are not a thriving society, and whether you are, the world around you is not. And so today, we're gonna focus on what does it mean to move from striving to thriving. And as we get into this, I want to rest your concerns. If you're a follower of Jesus and you know your Bibles well, striving is a thoroughly biblical word. Let me highlight a few ways that it is mentioned. So for example, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he talks about that is why we labor and strive. And the that is all about fighting against religious burdens that the leaders of the day had wrapped people up with. And, and you must not do this on certain days, or you've gotta do this sort of festival. That's what's acceptable to God. And Paul says we labor and strive against that, and we labor and strive so that you might know the hope of the living God in Jesus. That's one way of striving, thoroughly biblical. The second way is this. In the book of Isaiah, we read these words where the prophet reminds the people that no one calls on God's name or strives to lay hold of you. In other words, the era of that time, and of course, maybe the era of our time as well, is which in which nobody is striving for God. They're striving for so many other things, but not for God. Well, there's two positive ways the Bible speaks of striving. Striving so that others are free, so that they might know the good news of Jesus, and striving for God ourselves with that kind of zealous passion. I'm not talking about moving from that striving. That's good stuff. Rather, the striving we're talking about this morning is this, mentioned in the book of Ecclesiastes. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? This is the striving we're talking about. What you might call anxious striving. Moving, if you like, from an unhealthy striving that is a drivenness to a healthy following of Christ and his ways. It may but not be you that is driven like this, but it may be those around you. And it may be that you are driven like this and you don't feel the ill effects of that, but I would measure to guess those around you do. And the relationships are being tense, your health is struggling, your emotions are weak, your sleep is poor. Simply, your life is not restful. And can I say, those things that we are striving for can be really good things, but we have moved them to being God things. I heard a story a little while ago about a church pastor who was counseling two women in his congregation. Both of these women were married, and both of them had complaints about their husband. You may say that's not uncommon. That may be the case. But these particular women were complaining because their husband's behavior was not great. And so this pastor was talking about how he'd been meeting with them and talking with them. And basically, in his mind, the woman whose husband was treating her worse 
got to the place where she was able to forgive him and therefore they were able to move on in their relationship and that relationship was healed and all that. Even though that relationship, that guy was treating her worse. Whereas he was reflecting on this other woman in his congregation, how she found it impossible to forgive and move on with her husband. Even though what in the pastor's mind he was doing was kind of quite minor. And he began to unpick why that was. And he began to realize that for this woman, in her mind, what it meant to be successful was to be known as being a good mother. And in her mind, her husband's behavior was, make, was impacting the way her children were being brought up. And as a result, she would not be known as a good mother and therefore she could not let it go. In other words, her good thing wanting to be a good mum, was leading her to a drivenness and a striving that meant she wasn't able to walk with the normal broken sinfulness that we all have in our lives. So may I ask you, what is the good thing in your life that you are striving for, but you've lifted it up to being the place of a God? We all have it if we're honest. Let me quote from a guy called Sky Jathani. Sometimes the people who fear insignificance the most are driven to accomplish the greatest things. As a result, they're highly praised for their good works, but this, temp this temporarily soothes their fear until the next goal can be achieved. But there's a dark side to this drivenness. One author calls it missionalism. The belief that the worth of my life is determined by the achievement of this particular objective. And if I don't achieve it, all comes crashing down. So what's the objective in your life? If I don't achieve this, I really struggle. That's what we mean by unhealthy striving. And into this then, how do we move from striving to thriving? Well, we look at Jesus' words. And into this, Jesus says two very clear things. There's two very clear invitations for you today from this passage. And I'm going to simply leave these words up on the screen now for you to reflect on as we carry on. The first thing Jesus says to you today, and are you listening to this, is come to me. Come to me. Come. Come, come to me. What does he mean? Well, you'll notice if you were listening when we were reading the context of what he's talking about. Jesus, as it were, with the religious leaders of his days who had some serious questions about Jesus, is basically defending who he is. Let me read again what he says, verse 27. No one knows the Son except the Father, course he's talking about himself and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him what Jesus is simply saying is come to me not to anything else not to any other religious system not to anyone else come to me why because I and the father are one if you want to know God and the freedom and hope of God come to me says Jesus so you come to Jesus rather than away from Jesus. And of course, the question is this. If Jesus is saying to all of us today, 
come to me, what's our answer? Are we heading to Jesus or are we heading away from Jesus? And for you, if you're here this morning and you're not sure whether you'd call yourself a Christian or this Christianity thing is new for you or church is a new experience, have you ever said yes to Jesus' invitation? Come to me. Today, there's an opportunity, if you'd want to, to find that hope and freedom by saying, yes, I will. But you notice it's also come to me, not come to my teaching. And this is where Jesus is so radical and so bold and dare I say it, so controversial because Jesus doesn't say, follow my teaching and all will be sweet. He says, come to me. If you want to find hope and rest, it's not about doing, it's about resting in him. Come to me. And of course, therefore, like any other religious system, he's not saying you want to be saved, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. He's saying you want to be saved, come to me. Dramatic, controversial, and yet immensely freeing. Why? Because there's an opportunity for all of you who are weary and burdened to find rest. Because if, if, if the solution is come to my teaching, then it's still about me. If I've got to do a certain amount of things or certain religious framework or certain amount of good things, if it's all about me, that is not the pathway to hope and rest, is it? It's the pathway to being more burdened because I'm never quite doing enough. And I look out at this congregation and I look at you guys and I think, wow, some of those guys are incredible. Look at all they're doing. Look at how godly they are. Look at how amazing they are. Listen to their prayers. Look at how much they know the Bible. In other words, that puts more burden. But into that context, Jesus says, no, be free. Come to me with open arms. One author called Emma Scrivener, who was in a church context and would have called herself a Christian, but she was battling um, with something that therefore made her realize that she'd actually got the wrong idea about God. As she uses her own words, she says, my brand of Christianity had space for God, but not for Jesus. And in her battling, in her case with a particular eating disorder, she said these words about a time where for the first time she read a passage of the Bible that made her see Jesus for who he really is. She said, as I read, I felt I was meeting Jesus for the first time. Instead of the far off slave master, I'd imagined I encountered someone completely different, strong and powerful, but also broken and loving. The Lord of the universe, yet somebody who understood what it was to be weak. Instead of the God I thought I knew, in Jesus I met the one who knew me. This Jesus confronted me, not as a tyrant or a heavenly taskmaster, but as a gift. He came offering himself on the cross. My badness, my attempts at goodness were taken away, rendered irrelevant by his sacrifice. Here was one who met me in my brokenness. 
a lion who'd vanquished all my foes, a God who turned his face toward me and called me his child. Enough fighting, enough striving, enough hiding and running, enough starving, not a question, not a request, an inalterable fact, she says. This was the gospel that finally brought me to my knees. I expected God's anger, but I was floored by his grace. Here at last was somebody who could satisfy all of my longings, all of my questions. Jesus didn't want apologies, resolutions, or assurances that I would do better. He wanted me. Friends, Jesus says, come to me as you are, with your rags, come. And for some of us, if we're honest, we might add a word in there, Jesus says, come back to me. We may own the name of Jesus, we may be known by others as being following him, but in our own hearts we know this is Jesus saying, come back, come back. So that's the first thing, and secondly, as I come to a close, Jesus invites us, come to me, but then the second invitation is there, take my yoke. Do you see that? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I was trying to explain what, think about what a yoke was. It's not an egg yoke for those that don't know. But you know those climbing carabiners? You ever seen those things that are clips? And I, I, I haven't got one, so I was gonna bring one otherwise. Um, but I, I imagine, try this when you're at home. Get a carabiner if you've got one. Clip yourself to somebody else. So clip the carabiners through the belt loops of thing. And then try walking wherever you want. It's a nightmare. Why? Because you are yoked together. And of course, Jesus is saying we have a choice. Who are we yoked with? We could be yoked with a religious system that is all about a list of demands, just like the Pharisees of his day were talking about. Or, Jesus says, you take my yoke, walk with me, and you will find rest. Why? Because you'll see I'm gentle and humble in heart, and this yoke is easy. My burden is light. We might pull against it, but actually if we go the direction of Jesus, we'll find it's easy and the burden is light. So here's the question. Who are we clipped to? <laughs> Which direction are we heading? Where are we battling against him? Have we taken his yoke? And I was trying to work out what that might look like because we live in an age in which none of us want to be restricted by being clipped to anybody. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it with whoever we want to do it, however we want to do it. And we think that's the pathway to freedom. But I was thinking about this as John was playing earlier. I don't play the guitar, but I would imagine the guitar is much more difficult to play without a strap. Is that right? Yeah, because you've got to hold the thing with two hands. If you've got no strap, you're forever doing that. Is that right? In a sense, the strap restricts John. He's got a little bit less movement and freedom. And yet, of course, what does it do? It enables him to fly. And the same, of course, is true with Jesus' yoke. Following Christ and his ways, learning from him, we may think is restrictive, but we will find freedom there. 
hope. It will enable us to fly. So that we'll realize that we have no more need for striving because we are loved by the God of the universe regardless of what we do. And we'll realize that we are yoked with somebody that only has our good in mind. And we will realize that as we walk with Jesus, we're walking with the one who holds us in all our brokenness and calls us his child. And so today the invitation is clear. Are we walking with Jesus or are we walking apart from Jesus? And do you notice Jesus doesn't say, come to me and I'll change all your circumstances and make them sweet. But what he does do is say, in the middle of those circumstances, rest is possible. A lightness is possible. Why? Because there is an end to striving and drivenness. Because we realize we're held by the king above all kings. That is good news. So in God's grace, may we be people who realize Jesus' invitation and realize that he is for us, loves us, and has the best in store for us. And even today, be people who either say yes for the first time or realize that we need once again to say, Jesus, I'm coming back to you. I take your yoke once again. I'm clipping myself, attaching myself, walking with you because I know there is hope and freedom. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you. Thank you that you speak so gently into our lives, Lord. And Lord, forgive us for the times where we have strived after things and made other things a God rather than you. And Lord, we know that doing that ultimately makes us slaves. And yet we know, Lord God, that that as we come to Jesus, There is freedom, there is hope, there is love, there is a welcome, there is where we find home. And so Lord, would you even now enable us to say yes, yes, yes.